If you're interested in the animation industry, there's some good news. I personally think animation is the place to be right now. It's the only industry that never stopped during COVID, at least in the entertainment side. Um, so there are animation studios popping up all over the place. Here in LA, you can't walk a city block without seeing an animation studio. <laughs> Today we're going to explore the part of the animation industry that brings everything together. The glue that allows a production to go from concept to consumer, project management, and producing. Hi, my name is Kirsty. I am the current marketing manager for Paramount Animation, but my job uh, does expand into college recruiting and managing all of our digital assets. We, as a feature studio, had four features in production when COVID hit. And within a week or two, we were fully back up and we never really skipped a beat. We just kind of started moving people remote, like immediately. Management is a very important part of the life cycle for any production, animation included. Understanding this line of work and determining if it is something that interests you would expand the number of opportunities you can pursue in the field. Producing is like all about reading people and trying to figure out how you can get what you want out of that person without them being angry about it. And if you want to move up quickly, Kiersey's got part of the secret there too. I always volunteer myself to do things that are definitely out of the range of what my title should be. In our interview, we will go over the various roles she has had on the project management and producing side, what those roles mean, where they exist in the pipeline, and the importance those positions play in making any animation project, big or small, get completed on time and within budget. It's all coming up next on First You Hustle, a podcast from the Columbus College of Art and Design for students and budding creative professionals to put their expertise to use. I actually started college as a business major, and as many business majors, I think, realize pretty quickly, it's kind of boring. <laughs> um, so I looked for something a little more fun, something I always enjoyed was art and watching animated movies. So even coming into college, I didn't realize that was an actual career. So when I did discover that major, I was pretty excited about it. So I actually did a two-year fast track of um, our animation program. I went to Loyola Marymount University here in Los Angeles. Nice beach view. It was great until I went to the basement of the animation building. Um, and now, of course, they have this beautiful new building with windows and all these fancy gadgets. So that's how it works. You leave and they make something awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also realized that the art side maybe wasn't the direction I wanted to go and that the other side of it was production the organization of everything, the management of artists and the art, like still being part of the art and the creative space, but not necessarily having to produce it myself. I also just didn't really have the temperament or the patience to do such a job. And, and so that was something you recognized in college. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I kind of just recognized I enjoyed art like on my own, but not necessarily as a job. Cause I think, 
like the idea of it as a job is great, but if you don't love it that much, like that's all you're going to be doing every day for the rest of your life all day. So for me, the loss of the personal pleasure of it doing like on my own felt like I was losing that. Um, so I'm also just way better at telling people what to do and organizing things. So it, uh, <laughs> it kind of, I think I fell into it really well. <laughs> and so did that kind of reveal itself as you were working through projects that you realized the, the kind of organization and production side of things was coming more naturally, or was that something you had to learn from the outside? Like you met someone in the industry and realized there was a whole other side to it. Well, I, it, I think it probably started when I got my first internship. It was the summer before my senior year, kind of like, for me, I just went for internship and internship means usually like a PA position that's unpaid, which now people get paid and it's very exciting. Um, but uh, So like I came in as a PA at a studio called Film Roman, working on a show called Superhero Squad. And that's kind of where I, I started to understand the actual like uh, professional pipeline of animation. So like what it actually means to be on the business side so to speak of creating all of these shows and movies and such um so let's just quickly define pipeline i mean our, our students take a whole class on it so they're they're going to learn pipeline but how would you describe pipeline to like a lay person when you say pipeline you think of it as a very linear like one two three you get to the end type of thing but pipeline it ends up being like i would imagine the sewer system of new york city looks like where it's every step from I create a script, I get the storyboards, I get the designs, those designs go to this person and that person to that person. So the way you describe it is as like every step of the production. Um, and there's so many steps, things like the record happens, designs, storyboards, editorial, shipping to an animation studio, the animation, the animation retakes the exporting of animation and then final edit and then actual delivery. So all of that from start to end is a pipeline, but all of those pieces happen at different times all at the same time. <laughs> you don't really fully grasp it until you actually start doing it. You hear the word pipeline and you do think of a pipe or you think of like a train track, you know, that's going to stop at multiple stations, but a sewer is much more of a network that multiple things are pouring into at the same time, I think that's a little bit more apt. So I, I'd never heard that before, but that's that's a good way of explaining it. But yeah, let's go through your career a little bit and learn, you know, at each stop in your career, you know, what you were doing and how that affected the pipeline and the business side and all that. So I I got my um, my internship. Um, I actually I continued through that internship in my senior year, but I actually ended up getting hired on to that production when I graduated. And actually, funny story, for my internship, I showed up a day early to my uh, interview. I was just that excited because I was like, oh, my God, I applied to like 800 internships and someone finally called me back. Uh, so I showed up to the office and the producer on the show, she was like, uh, supposed to be seeing you tomorrow. I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to disappear. Oh, oh, bye. And she's like, no, 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 just come on in. I just want to make sure you're not weird or anything. I was like, well, that didn't work out. Um, <laughs> but uh, they hired me. Yay. So through that internship, I kind of started doing the PA role, which is obviously why they hired me on. Um, and that has that has to do with 
you are the grunt worker for every position, really. So it's really the the platform on which you will build all of your understanding of the pipeline. So there's your getting designs. For when I was working, things were still on paper. So I'd get a design from a designer and I would photocopy it and scan it into the computer and then file it away. Storyboards, I would get those in on paper with little post-its on them and I would scan those in and then I would reprint them out so they were clean and I'd file those away. There's a lot of filing, there's a lot of photocopying, a lot of scanning, but it is where I started to understand how to work with artists in the professional sense. So like part of my job was to go to each artist and be like, hey, I need these designs today. How much more time do you need? Are they done? Are they in the folder? I need these storyboards today. So I, I became that face of, uh-oh, my due date is coming. Um, <laughs> And did you find that managing artists and, and having those conversations and, and being that, uh-oh, I'm the deadline person, was that easier because you understood the art background? Yeah. I mean, like a lot of like the management of artists and being that kind of stern foot of uh, your deadline is up or you get more time. It's kind of more, you kind of gain that as you go up and people gain your, your respect of like, you know what you're doing and you know why. Um, as a PA, I was more just like, I mean, if, if you need more time, I can ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like I started to, I started to kind of gain that rapport with the artist. And like, that's kind of like the biggest piece of production is like, if you don't have a good rapport with your artists, they're not going to work with you. Um, so like, if you ask them like, Hey man, we really got to hit this deadline by Friday. If they don't like you, they're probably not going to try to hit that date. But if they really like you, they're going to work hard for you. Um, so that's kind of like a big thing. Like as someone goes up through production, just like make sure that you're you're always on the side of the artists when you think like they deserve your help, you know. So like if you know they're slacking off, like then you can kind of uh, put the put the hammer down. But if they know that you have their back when it when it matters, that helps your production exponentially. Because in the end of the day, like all you want is a good product that comes out. Like whether that means you got ninety five percent of the way to where you really wanted it to be, like because that's where schedule and budget really starts to affect things. It's really that last ten percent. But if like you can manage to get all the way there with making sure your artists are happy, your production is happy, everybody's working well together. It becomes so much smoother and you're actually a lot more successful. And so how long were you PAing? I got out of PAing pretty quickly. Um, another part of that is recording. It's something that you don't really think about, but obviously voices have to get into the story somehow. Um, and it's actually one of my favorite parts to do. My first record was with Mark Hamill, and I didn't know that. And my boss was like, do you know who we're recording today? I was like, oh, no, who is it? She's like, it's Mark Hamill. And I was like, oh, I have a lightsaber in my trunk. Do you think he'd sign it? <laughs> Did he? She's like, I don't know. I guess, I guess, sure. I walked in there with my, like, cheapo lightsaber that just happened to be in my trunk. And I was like, will you sign this? And he was like, yeah, sure. He signed it and he like kept on going. He's like literally one of the craziest talented like voice actors like I've ever seen work. Yeah, that was really exciting. So as a PA, I was like, oh, 
I found it. This is what I want to do forever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so but, the, the recording side, though, is that typically a part of a PA's role? Or was, did that become an extra additional role that you're doing while you were also um, a PA? The PA role of that is preparing the script. So each actor, each voice director, everybody who's going to be at the record gets their own version of the script. Um, you're, you have to pull out all the lines for the actor on a separate document. There's a lot of like organization and breakouts that happen for the script that's the work leading up to the record a lot of PAs don't get to go to the record but we were a small kind of group and I was fortunate enough to have a lot of like superiors that wanted to teach me things and I really think that's kind of why I was able to in about a year including my college internship move into a coordinator position because Everyone above me was willing to teach me and I was happy to learn and I was pushing to understand what that next role was. So moving up, it was just the obvious thing because I had already been doing that job. No matter what industry you work in, on the management side, which is the side producing is on, growing your career means overseeing a wider view of the total operation. Having a knack for learning new things, advocating for yourself to take on new responsibilities, and always looking for ways to be a solution is one way to gather more under your umbrella. This will make you a more desirable candidate when it comes time to take a step up into a bigger position. Compare this to the arts side, where it's more common to become a technical and creative expert in one facet of the production. Whether that is composing soundtracks, animating, cinematography, writing, or whatever it might be. On the producing side, you'll never drill down to one specific technical or creative contribution, but instead bring a broad range of skills to the table. This is likely why Kirsty was able to make a leap into her next role, even when it didn't seem like she was qualified. I got an opportunity to interview with a studio called Bento Box into their development department. So producing pilots is a lot different than producing television shows or features. Um, it's a lot more compact because they're only 10 minute pieces, but you're doing still the same pipeline just in a shortened amount of time and like 10 at, 10 at the time, 10 at a time. <laughs> so I went into that position. It was actually a coworker had recommended it to me. She's like, oh, you can, you can apply, uh, but you probably won't get it. You don't have a lot of experience. And I was like, oh, all right. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, thanks. Um, but so, but I went to that interview and uh, obviously got the job. So I was like, woo woo. But it was going into a group that was, I think it was, there. I had a PA under me and then just my producer. So it was like the tiniest team working on these uh, pilots. Um, and so moving into that role, it definitely accelerated what, like my position in and my understanding and learnings to keep moving up because in that position or at that studio, I went from coordinator to manager. I was there for about two and a half years, um, but I was doing the records. I was doing the production side of tracking designs and the artists. And I was 
tracking the storyboards, conforming storyboards. Conforming storyboards is once storyboards go into edit, edit will cut around and pull things out and reorganize things. And it's your job as a coordinator to take that like quick time that edit exports out and fix those storyboard profiles so they match that, ex that export. And then you give that back to the storyboard artist to then keep doing revisions. Um, so there was that, but then I was also, because it's such a small team and I had the art background, I was also helping with design and I was helping with storyboards and I was in editorial and doing all like doing retakes and all of these other things that don't really happen in a normal production line. Um, because once you're in like a large studio, it's like, all right, here's your job. This is what you do. Um, but in this small team, it was all hands on deck. We just got to get it done, um, which was kind of fun for me because I got to use the art side of my education with the production stuff that I had been learning all the way up through that point. And it seems like there's a theme here with you are hired to do one job, but you are interested or available to do other things. And then because you're like always raising your hand, is that why you're able to kind of have you know, you're more pokers in different fires uh, at the same time? Yeah, I, I think I've always been very eager to learn and wanting to do more, which I think is like something that supervisors love because there's always more work to do. Um, and a lot of times you'll get someone who just like, this is my job, this is all I'm doing. It's like, that's totally fine, totally doable. You're just probably not going to be moving very quickly in the sense of like hierarchy and I always volunteer myself to do things that are definitely out of the range of what my title should be so like if I'm sitting there animating it's not necessarily something a coordinator or manager should be doing so like for the coordinator position we were a two-person team doing all this work we were in the office from like nine to midnight every day. It was such a small team that needed to do a lot of work. So I was like, how can I reduce this work? One of the heads of the studios was pretty great in kind of like helping me, helping to foster my curiosity of how to make things more efficient. He had started creating databases for uh, asset tracking. And he was like, well, here's a FileMaker database that I've started. Why don't you play with this? Like buy a book, like you can spend our, like, cause we had, we would have downtimes. Production is all about like peak, super busy, and then it'll drop to the kind of slow and then it'll pick back up. And basically like rolling hills is how production works. Um, so I, we had a downtime and he was like, I'm fully giving you permission to spend your whole day just trying to figure out this database. So I spent so much time doing that. I've bought a book I would have dreams about coding of like I can't figure this out and then I'd wake up the next morning and I'm like aha I know how to do it um so I built a fully functional database that also created something called lead sheets um in production in order to ship to another studio you have to create something called a lead sheet and it's a breakdown of each asset that happens in each shot so if your sequence is 10 shots long, um, it's usually a lot longer than that, but like, for example, in this one shot, you have these two characters in this prop, but the next shot, you have these four characters and these three props in this background. So you have to do a full breakdown of every shot included 
And that would take days of our time to get a 10 minute pilot through all of those lead sheets. And so I was able to create this database that did all of that in like an hour. Was that new? Was like no, no one else had a database like that? Did you invent something? I did invent something. It's only something I only I've invented for the production studios that I've worked for because I've, I've taken it with me everywhere. And everyone was like, oh, snap, we don't have to do this by Excel and copying and pasting 800 times. Um, and it's one of those things where it takes the pre-work to make sure the post-work is done quickly. So like when you get a script, you break it down into assets of like characters, props, backgrounds. As you get animatics, you do the same thing, characters, prop, backgrounds. So as long as you're doing that consistently throughout the process, the end piece should be easy to create. I want to go back a second. So you were told you probably wouldn't get the job at Bento Box, but you did. Can you identify what happened in the interview process that you think got you that job? I have no idea. <laughs> well, because I mean, it's, um, it sounds like you're, yeah. you're a problem solver. And I don't know if that came up in the interview about being adaptable and being able to just kind of jump in and get things done. But that seems to be one of the most valuable assets in production. And if you can demonstrate that yeah. in an interview, then I, I would imagine that was the attraction. But I, I don't know if there was something else that clicked for you or for them of like, oh, this might actually work out. I think it was just my eagerness to like jump in and figure it out. So like I've, I always kind of say like if someone asks you if you can do something, unless it's like super extreme, just say yes and figure it out. <laughs> So like, I feel like that's where a lot of people get stuck where they're like, oh, do you know this thing? If it's easily Googleable, yes, you can do that thing when you Google it and nobody needs to know that you are Googling it. <laughs> so I think it may have just been that of like my excitement for like a new opportunity to like do more. Um, I feel like I've always kind of put off that kind of thing in my interviews because like sometimes you look at my resume and it's like you have done so much are you good at any of it kind of thing um so like my interviews is always kind of where I'm able to shine and like yes all these things I've done I've done very well um and I know I can do them all very well at the same level so it's kind of like that you have to kind of give off that uh that eagerness to learn eagerness to like jump in and work hard and hopefully they can see that it's probably also because I was young and probably cheaper than the other person. So it could go either way. <laughs> um, I'd like to hope they saw the greatness that were to come. <laughs> I, I think they did. And, you know, I, we often talk about like being like jack of all trades or like a Swiss army knife, but you think about a Swiss army knife and it's like a bunch of tools that are dull. And so I think you, like you mentioned, you can run the risk of appearing like, you can broadly do a little bit of everything and people will assume that means you can't do any one thing perfectly or, or at an expert level. But it, you know, it's important to demonstrate that whatever, whatever it is they want to drill in on in your resume or, or your portfolio that you can talk about it, you can back it up and you can demonstrate that you can do it legit. Um, Cause yeah, yeah. It, it, that's the, it, it's like, what's it better? Is it better to be uh, really good at a couple things, or is it good to be generally good at a lot of things? And it's like, it depends on the job, it depends on the company, it depends on what they need. So it's not really about one being right and one being wrong. It's really just about how you present it in the interview. The difference a little bit between television and feature is feature does like more speciality. So like when you go through a coordinator or supervisor role, 
in feature, your art coordinator, your art supervisor, like you're going down that one path, or you might be layout supervisor or um, story supervisor. So like in television, they tend to have like two coordinators and you some sometimes one person does story, the other person does art purely because it's easier to separate it. But oh, you tend to do a little bit of everything um, and manage different pipelines in television where in feature it helps to be a lot more specific because the understanding of that pipeline is a little more complicated. So back to the timeline, are we through Bento Box or is there more going on there before you moved on? So I went from coordinator to manager in at Bento Box and there wasn't much different because we were already such a small team. Just by the time I became manager, I had more people under me. We had hired on more. So I had four production people and like two in-studio artists that I worked with. So it's kind of like where you you learn to manage people, delegate, which is like the biggest thing most people have a hard time figuring out, like under how you understand the pipeline and how it can shift around to work to your advantage. So like if this these designs are going to take a little bit longer, but you need to ship by this date, how can you shift some dates around? So maybe you started shipping on this date and then can finish on this other date. So like you start to learn how the puzzle pieces of and the pipes can reconnect in different ways um, in that manager position. Cause you're seeing kind of more like a downward view of all the moving pieces, um, if that makes sense. Um, and so you can see how they can reconnect to hit the date or the cost that you need it to. As a manager, were you managing people who were in your first role as like a like production assistants? Were you or were you managing people who were in a completely different role that you had not done before? When I was a manager, I had production assistants and coordinators below me, but then I was also in charge of like our editor and our artists and our animators. Um, so it kind of like above, just above me was our producer who dealt with all the schedules and the budgets and all that kind of stuff. And then I just reported up to her, like, this is what's happening. We're still going to hit things or here's a problem. We're going to fix it. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so like, I was kind of like, I, I was in charge of everything that wasn't budget and larger schedule. I had, I had all the tiny moving pieces below me, um, which is crazy to think. When, like, because I, I think that was three years out of college. <laughs> um, by the time I left Bento Box, I had produced or helped to produce over 30 pilots. It was something I enjoyed doing. So it was, it was the problem solving piece of it, making things more efficient was kind of always my favorite thing to do of like, all right, this takes us four days. How can I get it down to two? Or like, do we need one more artist? We can hit this. Or we don't need that extra artist and we'll still get this. Um, so it's kind of like, it's a fun jigsaw puzzle to work with. Producing is a skill that you really sharpen in the industry, which can make it a catch-22. On the art side, you can find avenues to grow your technical skills and creative artistry. In producing, you can't really do a producing project on your own to demonstrate the skills. So 
it's important to think strategically about how you'll gain those skills. In animation, opportunities in television can provide a better training ground than features. The timeline of television is a lot shorter, but the core skills required are similar to features. So think about how much more you can be exposed to working on multiple television pilots over the course of a year rather than a single feature. It seems too that like television with the quicker turnarounds, you figure there's more chances you're going to discover different types of problems or different circumstances. Like a, a movie might have like one set of issues that come up or not one set, but like it'll have its set of issues that come up, but they will be more prolonged. Whereas like a pilot could be like, well, this pilot, we had this unique issue and this other pilot, we had another unique issue. So when you look back on it, you were able to kind of be exposed to more, almost like the serendipitous happenstance stuff, you know, that like, I know how to yeah. do this because it came up randomly, you know, like or, a week ago. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, like television, you move through studios a lot faster too, because you're hired on per project, which is same for feature, but feature you're on a project for longer. Um, but with television, unless you're at a studio that can roll you on to a new season or a new show, you're looking for a job every time your end date comes up which can be a little stressful, um, but like it, it does create a lot of opportunity for growth because with each new studio, you learn something new or you learn a different thing um, that may happen in a production. And each studio also sets up their production differently based on how the producer had worked previously. So you may work one way at one studio completely differently at another studio, but both both aren't neither are wrong and neither are right you kind of like learn pick and choose like what you think actually works the best for you and you kind of bring those learnings with you everywhere you go what's that transition like you mentioned you know at the end of one you're looking that you then need to find the next one but are you by the time like one thing is wrapping up do you already have things in motion for the next gig or is it like tomorrow I got to start cold and, you know, it's going to take X amount of time. Like what's that transition like for people that get a little bit of anxiety thinking about like, well, I would really like it if my job were just always my job and I didn't have to at the end of a production start looking for the next one. <laughs> yeah. That was always my biggest worry. Other than like when I first started working, I was like, how am I going to know what to do all day? If that someone's not telling me, <laughs> um, you figure it out. Um, but yeah, my, I, always my biggest worry was what do I do next? Like finding a job in the first place was so stressful. Now I have to go do it again six months later. Um, I was fortunate enough to be in a few positions like my development job. As long as we had pilots coming in, I had a job. Um, and then when I moved into my next position, it was the same kind of thing where as long as we had movies coming in, I still had a job, but I mean, I work with plenty of people that have to find a new job every couple months. Um, and you start early, about halfway, like you give yourself like, say you have three months left on, on your contract or on your, until your end date, you start looking, you start talking to people around the studio. If you're at a larger studio who has a lot of productions, you start taking people for coffee or you start running into people in the kitchen and figuring out what productions are hiring hopefully you have an artist management or hr management um group that will want to keep the good people around and will place you other places um 
But if you're at a small studio that doesn't have that, that's where really kind of like the networking of people you work with is really important because they're the people that are going to send your resume to their friend at this other studio that's looking for a PA or a coordinator or a manager. Um, so start those conversations and start those relationships from the beginning. That way, when it's like, oh, my date's coming up, like, do you know anybody looking for this position? Or can you send my resume over to the studio just in case when they are ready? Um, it's once you're in like this weird little small world of animation, this big little world, um, it's a lot easier to move around because you're starting to meet people. Like I got my next, I got my first line producer job from a director I worked with on a pilot because he was just like, you're really awesome. You know what you're doing. I'm putting your name into this bucket of people for line producers at Mattel. And I was like, Oh, sweet. Cool. Thanks. It was that what, what came after bento box. Yeah. I was at the point of my bento career where I was like, you know what? I, I think I want something more. I'm trying to figure out what that next step is. So it was great. It was perfect timing. Um, so I drove myself out to El Segundo from Burbank, which is like in LA traffic, like two hours. <laughs> um, I was like, I have a dentist appointment. I'll be back guys. Um, <laughs> and, uh, like, dentist is really far away though. <laughs> really far away. I'm probably not going to make it back today. <laughs> um, so, and that, that, that's always the awkward conversation of like, I have an interview for another job, but I don't want anybody to know. Um, but you've dressed up really nice that day. And everybody's like, why are you really dressed up? Do you have an interview? Um, <laughs> I just have a crush animation. on my dentist. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just wanted to look nice for him. Um, <laughs> Cause like everybody in animation wears like jeans and t-shirts to work. So it's like anything above jeans and t-shirts is really fancy. Um, but yeah, I went to go, I interviewed over there and met kind of like one of my main mentors, Marge Dean works for, um, she's president of women in animation, like super successful. Um, she took a chance on me as a first time line producer, but like, I think with the, like the talk up I got from that director, plus kind of like all of the things I'd been able to do, some, something in her mind was like, you know what, I'm going to give her a try. Uh, so I came in um, to Mattel and I produced six made for DVD movies for one of their toy lines, Monster High, um, with two webisode series, a couple of commercials, a whole music video, which was fun. So that's kind of that's where you start with budgets and really the the overall schedule of like start to finish of like. It's also the part where if something goes wrong, you're the first person everybody blames. Um, so it only takes $100,000 mistake for you to never do that again. Um, but uh, yeah, it's really it, like you're at the top at that point where like you get to start playing with money. You get to start kind of like making sure, you have, well, you have to make sure everybody gets paid. So you're dealing with that. You also kind of like, at, especially at Mattel, that studio slash toy company like there's so many other pieces that come into making content for a toy line like the marketing team the toy team publishing consumer products so it's like especially being in that kind of studio like it's definitely a lot larger than say when I moved to stupid buddy to create uh, camp WWE I didn't have that extra piece so I had the extra piece that Mattel of 
dealing with marketing, making sure they had everything they needed because these movies were commercials for their toys. The toy team, because we were putting the toys into these movies, so we had to like negotiate with them. Well, we can put this in, but we can't put this in because of cost and they can't walk when their legs look like that and stuff like that. Um, so it's actually an extra level of complexity on top of just producing a movie. <laughs> but it was also a lot more fun because I love toys. Um, my office is covered in toys. And if you work in animation, if you don't have an office full of toys, you're not in the right place. <laughs> my position after Mattel, um, I line produced a show uh, called Camp WWE. It was the studio's first 2D show, and I had actually been brought over by Marge. So like, I interviewed with the heads of the studio there, but for the most part, I kind of just went there. Um, but that's kind of where I had to have really awkward conversations with production people of like, you're fired, or uh, you're not doing what you need to be doing. Let's fix this. You are now kind of like that parent of that production where Everybody comes to you with their problems. It's your responsibility to solve those problems, whether it's personal or related to their job. So it becomes a little more, a little heavier, I guess, in terms of responsibility. To put, to put it in, in context, uh, when you were a coordinator or manager, were you reporting to a line producer or? Yes. Okay. Yes. So now, so that's so, where you are kind of in the pipeline world, just to kind of keep it mapped together with your career. So going like uh, coordinator, manager, yes. now line producer. Okay. I guess the way it works is like, as a PA, you kind of report to a coordinator. As a coordinator, you report to the manager. As manager, you report to the line producer. It's kind of like, as you go up, the person you report to is now responsible for making sure all the information you gave them is given to that person above. Because by the time you're a line producer, you shouldn't be looking at designs. You shouldn't be counting designs. You just need someone to tell you, we're gonna hit our deadline or our, our ship date because all the designs are done. Or we're not going to hit our ship date. We have 10 outstanding designs. We need a few more days. And then that's where you go to the animation studio that you're working with and you say, we need a few more days or we can ship this and then you'll get this on this day. From coordinator to manager to line producer, the essence of the position has some consistency. Problem solving, managing people, thinking logistically, lots of coordination. But as the positions grow, so does the outlook. Each position higher sees a little more of the total pipeline. At this point in our conversation, we're about to move into the current timeline where Kirstie works at Paramount, but not before a brief pause in the industry while she earned her MBA. Just to make it clear, a master's degree is not necessarily a requirement for most producing jobs, but with Kirstie also working in marketing and recruitment, you can see how that degree is adding value for the direction her career has taken. And so then was Paramount after the WWE thing? I actually... And this is not necessarily the right move for everybody. I went back to school and got my MBA. Um, so, you, so you like stopped kind of, out. You went full time MBA. You weren't working yeah. on the side. Correct. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't have that kind of brain where I can do school and work at the same time. <laughs> so um, I moved to Spain and I took did a one year program, which because I, I was like I can't not work for two years, which is most MBA programs. Otherwise, I would have considered the part time. Um, but I was also like, I want to live in another country for a little while. So 
I went and got my MBA because I was just kind of like, well, I have the animation degree. I kind of want a little more on the business side um, to kind of expand what I can potentially do with my experience, um, which then I came back and uh, found my position at Paramount, which I'm technically a marketing manager, but I consider myself like a marketing producer because I do still kind of do the same thing. Um, a lot, another thing about producing, it's all about people management and politics, um, which sounds weird, but there are a lot of really sensitive egos in Hollywood. Um, and just in general, uh, the wrong, a wrongly worded email could explode everything. Um, I have to say I've never been great at like being really nice in my emails. <laughs> I work on it every day. <laughs> I have to reread my emails all the time just to make sure I'm not being like, too straightforward because in my mind I'm like here's the information I have give me the information you have let's get on with our day goodbye but really it's all about kind of like hey how's it going remember me I smile a lot I hope your day is going well hope your day is not too stressful here's stuff that I have could you maybe sometime give me the stuff that you have <laughs> um but also like a lot of times it's how do you get the idea of I need I need these things to happen, but the person above me doesn't know that yet, but I want them to think it was their idea to get these things done this way. So there's there's a way to kind of like put ideas in people's minds. Uh, and then all of a sudden it happens because they're like, oh, I had this great idea. We should do this. And I was like, ah, oh, yes, that is an amazing idea. Um, I'm so glad but, you're saying this because I am beating the drum so hard with students about persuasive speaking and learning kind of the art of persuasion for that very reason of like, this is going to help you navigate all of those tricky conversations where you're like, I know if I suggest it, they'll say no, but if they suggest it, you know, it'll be the best idea ever. So yeah. How do I plant that seed? That's, it's such a useful, not just in entertainment or creative work, but any, any work just as a human being, like knowing those little uh, tricks and, and tools are, uh, you could survive any situation. Yeah, it's all about like producing is like all about reading people and trying to figure out how you can get what you want out of that person without them being angry about it. Um, so it's I mean, it's definitely a learned skill, um, like as you go through kind of like producing and meeting people and interacting with the different kind of people around the industry you you'll find people who are just like amazing and nice all the time and you want to work with them forever you'll meet with people who are you're like oh my god I can't wait to be off this this project because I never want to see this person again and then you're on you're the, your next project you're on with that person you're not on with the other person you're on with the person that you never want to see again and you still have to work with them be nice and like in the end everybody's goal is to create something great on television or in the theater. So you kind of just got to get over it, but you still have to navigate those waters. At this point, I hope you see the value in producing and project management roles. You might even be interested. So now what? How can you stand out? There is no producing portfolio you can create, except apparently one person created one, as you'll hear in a second. So what should be on your resume? Think about the things we've heard so far. What are some key attributes that stand out to you? Being able to think logistically, work with other people, manage a project on time and budget, present information, delegate work. 
Your portfolio likely contains projects you worked on with other people. Translate that into a production summary on your resume. How did you manage the project? Keep it on schedule. Work with your teammates. What you created is now less valuable than how you managed to create it. Also, your non-creative jobs likely utilize those skill areas too. As Kirsty will acknowledge in a second, it can be hard to position yourself for producing roles because unlike the creative side, you won't have a robust portfolio of work to show that you're qualified. But a good marketing of your skills mixed with networking and good presentation will help tremendously. The takeaway from this conversation should be the details in the roles. Understanding what the various positions are, PA, coordinator, manager, line producer, whatever it may be, is how you can strategically position yourself to be hired. Your creative portfolio likely highlights your creative attributes. Think about how to position an application to highlight your professional attributes. You know, the things that make you easy to work with, adaptive, innovative, punctual, autonomous, collaborative, diligent. These are the qualities they will be looking for. Reverse engineer your application to connect the experiences and projects you've done to those attributes. I did actually receive a production portfolio recently and I was like, oh my goodness. And I sent it all, like sent that person's like resume immediately to our head recruiter. I was like, this girl made a website about how production works. And it, I, I was incredibly impressed. I'm not saying that everybody has to do that, but it was something that um, really caught my eye. Um, for like, for coming out of college, it's a little hard because obviously if you're gonna be an artist, we look at your portfolio. For production, there's not really that type of thing. Um, a lot of times, if you can get an internship, that's always ideal. Like if you're going into production, you don't need a portfolio. We're not going to look at it. We're not hiring you for your art skills. Smaller studios will most likely take chances on people just graduating. A lot of time you try to go into features, they want someone with a little bit of understanding of the real pipeline or having had worked in it a little bit. So having an internship or a previous PA job is extremely helpful trying to get into features. Um, but with television, like they tend to be more apt to want to teach you because it's what their pipeline is going to be is probably going to be different from someone else. So they want to form you in the way that they want you to be. It also seems um, like, you know, it's a, we're living in a good era for television to be the right place to start in because it seems like there's more activity that I'm not sure if this is true for animation, but certainly for television, television, there's just a lot more opportunity in that, well, that uh, film because yeah. of all the streaming services that are out there. People are acquiring a lot more kind of short term series type properties. I personally think animation is the place to be right now. Um, we, as a feature studio, had four features in production when COVID hit. And within a week or two, we were fully back up. And we never really skipped a beat. We just kind of started moving people remote, like, immediately. And they just, within two weeks, we had full fur productions, like, just full steam ahead again. So, like... It's the only industry that never stopped during COVID, especially at least in the entertainment side. Um, so there are animation studios popping up all over the place. Like um, here in LA, there either you can't walk a city block without seeing an animation studio. <laughs> um, I live in Studio City. I can literally see Universal Studios from my apartment, and like from here, every studio 
like their Bento Box is here, Film Roman is here, Disney's here, Warner Brothers is here, um, DreamWorks is just in Glendale, just a few more uh, stops away. But in between that, there's so many other smaller studios that get um, there are vendors for all the the larger studios. Like everybody works with each other, and there's just there's so much opportunity. So it's just finding that opportunity that fits you best. A lot of times when you start a television show or you start a movie, you're like, I know I want, like, it's usually the higher level people. Like, you know what, this person's style really fits what I want this movie to look like. So they might go after those higher level people directly because they know who they are and what they're, what they can create. Um, But in general, like I, like, especially at Paramount, I make sure we post every job that we hire for whether or not someone thinks they have an idea of who they want or not, because that's where we might find someone that we didn't think of. Mm. So like a lot of what we do, a lot of times we'll go through credits of movies and we'll start pulling names there. But then two days ago, I literally went through 187 resumes of storyboard artists from our uh, career page. And it's like a lot, (laughs) (laughs) but like, but that's where you find people that you don't know about or, and like, I actually, I try to push a lot just to not go with our first like choice, like, Mm -hmm. because we may have worked with that person a bunch. Like there's gotta be someone out there that's going to be just as good. Um, So I, I try to like constantly, I go through so many resumes constantly. Um, So I would never not apply to a job just because you think they've filled it already. Cause if they have filled it and you still apply, someone's still looking at that resume. So if that next project comes up, they may pull your resume cause they saw it already. Um, mm-hmm. So sometimes that happens for specific positions, but for the majority of them, it's not necessarily true. This is a great deep dive into all the, you know, little details. And that's what I try to do in these, these podcasts and these workshops is like get a little bit of reality. We say like things like pipeline and business side and producing, and this is going to give a a lot of students a very specific look at what that means. Um, So thank you for taking this time to uh, speak to us. We really appreciate it. Of course. Anytime. That's all for this episode. Thanks for tuning in to First You Hustle. We'll see you next time.